Welcome to another edition of the Heron Outlet. We're back. She is Alex Winley. I am Ian Heston. After a long international break into Miami, playing through it, but without Lionel Messi, without many stars, without nine guys to be more specific, still find a way to get another three points and keep the run rolling with a 3-2 win over Sporting Kansas City at Drive Pink Stadium. A lot to get to on today's show. We'll talk about that win. We'll get to the international break and everything and preview the upcoming match against Atlanta United. But Alex, let's start with that 3-2 win. A very impressive one, mind you, coming from behind without Messi and doing so in, in a way of scoring goals, the offense that we previously hadn't seen prior to Messi being here, really coming forward. Leo Campana gets two goals. Facundo Farias with the goal of the week in MLS this past week. And four players combined making MLS Team of the Week honors. A real team performance this week is where we begin. And, and just your original thought of, of watching this game and seeing an Inter-Miami that we hadn't seen prior to Messi arriving. With with. When Messi arrived and through the League's Cup and now into league play, we've seen the goals, we've seen the spectacular free kicks, we've seen that all early and often in Messi's tenure here. But prior to his arrival, Miami was a team that very much struggled to find goals. Leo Campana was struggling at times to find the back of the net. And without that talisman, you didn't really see much offense delivered from this team. At one point, halfway through the year, they were the worst goal-scoring team in the league. And, and to see now that... Not even without Messi, they're able to get all of these contributions. Wonderful game from, from Busquets again. Wonderful game from Alba again, who remained with the squad. But to get it from Campana with the brace, to get it from e even a Robbie Robinson who played very well, to get it from Facundo Farias as well uh, off that pass from Busquets, it was really nice to see them perform that well without Messi in the lineup. Yeah, and, and that's what Miami's going to have to do when 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 uh, Messi's gone. You know, I, I think this won't be the last time that this will happen this season where Messi will be off to international duty and Miami will have to find a way to win games, but it's not so much them finding a way, it's them, you know, continuing to play how they're playing, but, you know, without Messi, you know, they, they were able to still play well, obviously, you know. I think if Messi was on that field, Against Sporting, I do believe Miami would have had a couple more uh, goals or, or, or maybe some more fluid attacking play. But uh, Facundo Farias played really well, and it showed why uh, he showed why uh, Miami spent uh, that money to bring him in. And you know, it's it's a uh, seriously impressive uh, performance from him and and Busquets and, and 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 Alba. You know, considering they played a lot of minutes, and you know they're up there in age, but you know everyone had a you know a solid game. You know, same you know backline. You know. Kamal Miller and, and Toto Aviles, they're starting to form a bit of a, you know, a partnership there. And, and it, you know, they gave up two goals, but, you know, at the end of the day, they, they still were good uh, with their progressive passing and distributing. So um, all around a solid game, um, you know, you know, you wish we would you would have been able to keep that clean sheet, but still Miami found a way to win. And, and that's what uh, uh, they needed. You mentioned the back line. We'll get to it in just a sec. But they give up the early goal, and you thought right from there that, unfortunately, this was not in the cards for Miami. Giving up a goal within the first 10 minutes, we really haven't seen that from this team in the past several months. Able to fight back very well, getting the penalty, Campana converts, and right before halftime taking the lead, which I thought was an extremely important goal for, for them to have, to take the lead into the half. Facundo Farias, like you mentioned, the goal of the week to seal it. 
in the 60th minute before Sporting Kansas City comes back a little late on, but still not enough time for them to make it happen. This win, again, I, I think that the interesting part that stands out for me is how different it looked without Messi. There wasn't the possession. There wasn't the passing, the, the sheer number of passes. We talk a lot about Miami holding the ball in the back line, playing through the back, and really having a control of the game. It wasn't necessarily like that. It wasn't on the other end either, but it was more 50-50. Miami only had 46% passing. They got or 46% possession. They got outpassed by, uh, by Kansas City, which we have not seen that happen to them in the messy era so far. So from a stylistic version of play, what did you see differently that still wound up being effective in Tata's formations, in Tata's style, that, that still wound up performing uh, and ending up in three points? They were able to uh, attack and transition a lot, a lot more. You know, I think that Falcon Nefarious goal with Busquets um, uh, took the ball and, and played it quickly again. Um, yeah, they're able to strike and transition a little bit more and, and kind of play in, in that sense instead of having a more possession-based style. And I think it worked with the uh, front hacking three that they had with uh, Robbie Robinson, Leo Campana, uh, Falcon Nefarious. They were able to play a much more... Uh, attacking style and 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 no not attacking style excuse me counter attacking style and and kind of catch that sporting uh defense off guard and there were several times that you know Miami could have had the game at four one at one point if you know I think there was that one Robbie Robinson chance where he dribbled through multiple defenders and uh he just needed a square to Campana to for that to be a tap in but you know Robbie wanted to take it himself but um yeah I thought it was a a pretty good. Uh, performance in that regard, you know, but um, obviously, you know, you want Messi on that field, but I think this game was more, a little bit more wide open and and, and the front three could have, uh, they've used their pace a little bit more. I want to talk about Leo Campana, your MLS player of the week. Two goals in this game, three goals in the past two. After not scoring in his previous 11 appearances, both starting and coming off the bench, uh, th- there was calls for him during the League Cup to, to start over Joseph when Joseph was struggling a little bit. He he really performed, I thought, coming off the bench well and made the case for that conversation to be happening. But now he's really feeling himself. And it was very interesting to see how successful he was without Messi, like we've been talking about here, uh, to, to be that, that main striker, that main number nine right in the middle. And his play, earning, earning MLS Player of the Week honors, you know, he, he is that young designated player. His contract, we've talked about many times on the show before, is is so valuable to Miami that if he plays this way, it's almost like you're getting an additional four players for the price of one with how valuable uh, his deal currently is. So for him playing that well, for Farias to be playing that well, for Diego Gomez, we'll see how bad the injury is. And we'll talk about it a little bit later. Uh, but but uh, Thomas Avilas is starting. All of these are made possible because of Leo Campana. So if he's playing at a high level, it really changes the game for Inter-Miami. It really allows for them to not be so reliant on the three big transfers that they had from over the summer and, and, and spread their wings with the younger players and play more of an MLS style of football that I thought was very effective. For Leo Campana, how important is it for him to gain the confidence and know that he's going to be able to be that target man, that he's not going to have to do these run-on balls even when Miami was playing a more trans- transitional style like they were against Kansas City? Yeah, I think with Campana, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I several people have mentioned that 
uh, these run of games for him kind of shows that he should be the, um, excuse me, the starting uh, 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 center forward going forward just because he provides uh, an aerial threat and um, I guess better link of play, honestly. I know he's not someone who's going to run those channels, but, um, uh, you know, he's still a... He's got other attributes that probably would cater better to Messi and, and others. But anyway, I think Fontana, he's shown that he can lead the line. You know, last season he had a great year. And like you said, Ian, you know, his contract as well, it's, it's just beneficial for the team. So to see him play well, as long as with, uh, you know, as as uh, with his contract being the way it is, it just shows that, you know, the Intermami front office did a good job scouting and, and their capology of it all. Um, they did a good job to be able to squeeze all these contracts in in a uh, a way that is beneficial for the whole team and to see Campana play well. I think it's just a testament to you know where this team is going and how uh, how they want to continue to build. One guy I also want to talk about that we that we haven't really gotten a chance to praise in the wake of this Kansas City game is Nicholas Stefanelli. hadn't played since early July uh, and, and returns and plays a, a very quality seventy five minutes. I thought. Uh, was all over the field on both sides of the ball. He created those two chances, which you remember. But he also, you know, he had five recoveries in that game. He had an interception um, as well. He was three for three on his dribbles. I, I thought his complete game, box to box, was really, I don't I don't want to say a different Stefanelli because we've seen flashes of that at times earlier on in the year as he struggled to get healthy. But it seemed as though this was the Stefanelli that was promised uh, in the offseason when when his announcement was made and we were so excited about the student of the game that he was and the type of cerebral player that he was, he seemed to understand his role very well and play it transitionally box to box on both sides of the ball, I felt, very effectively in his return. And yeah, like you said, Ian, before when, when Stefanelli came in over from Sweden, I believe, you know, we talked about how he uh, yeah, like you said, a student of the game and how he was going to be that 10 until they figured out the cap situation, whether or not Pozuelo was going to come back, you know, they're still in for Messi. So that was a, a weird time, but they managed to get Messi in. Now uh, Stefanelli can play his more natural position, which is on the wing and maybe playing as a second striker. And you saw it against Sporting. He had, you know, a rough couple of uh, first few minutes, but he grew into the game and he had a, you know, he completed all three of his dribbles. He went three, three for three. He had a couple of good shots on goal and he was really uh, active in those half spaces both him and and Farias as well so um I think the the entire um formation worked in that sense obviously when you add Messi in there it becomes even more dynamic and even more uh, attack uh minded and 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 direct but you know this you know it was uh, cool to see you know Miami able to still play well even without Messi and you you have Busquets and Alba uh the back line even Yedlin you know the Yedlin was able to get, uh, um, you know, that assist on that on Campana's second goal. So uh, the entire team was was clicking on all cylinders. And, you know, like I said earlier, they probably wanted to keep the clean sheet. But still, it was a a, a pretty, uh, probably the best. Not, I'm not going to say it's like the most uh, uh, complete game from them. But, you know, if they kept that clean sheet, it was a pretty convincing win, even without uh, their captain in, in Lionel Messi. The fact that they did right, the fact that they did it without Messi, I think, is is the part that that sh- I don't want to say shocked, but was surprising to a lot of us because it, for them to do it, I mean, still with Busquets and Alba, let's not like get it twisted, still with 
Farias and Aviles, right? Still with Stefanelli, still with Campana. Like these are not nobodies. It's still with DeAndre Yedlin that, that they were playing with that, that I think is worth noting as well. But, you know, you brought up Facundo Farias a couple of times and, and I want you to help make me smarter a little bit because he's such an interesting case. And I haven't fully put my finger on what is so intriguing about him as a player just yet. I know every single time I see him play, he grows and grows and grows on me. What he does is so valuable and such a diverse skill set that he has. And he can do he can hurt you in so many different ways, but yet he makes it look very simple. And so I find myself sometimes questioning like, wow, where did that skill set come from? Wow, was that goal really that hard? I'll, I'll point to the MLS goal of the week this week. If you just watch it on face value, I don't know if – you watch it once and you leave away with it saying, oh, this is such an amazing goal. This is obviously goal of the week. But you watch his off-ball movement from it. You watch how he slows down and baits both the goalie and the defenders into a, almost a sense of security and then just makes it look so easy. It's such a an attacker's goal. And it, it, it requires a, a very intelligent movement and understanding of the game to be able to do it that each time I watch him play and each time I just spend like five ten minutes and I say you know what I'm going to isolate my time on Facundo Farias right now I'm left impressed by his his movement and his way of impacting a game that doesn't necessarily directly show up but is important in so many diverse skill sets Yeah, especially on his goal with uh, uh, Tim Melia, the the sporting kid, the the sporting uh, goalkeeper, he was able to uh, close down that angle really well on the the front uh, the near post, but uh, Haku was still able to kind of just curve it over uh, Melia and, and still finish. I don't know how many MLS uh, young MLS wingers will be able to calmly finish that. You know, they probably would have uh, shot it straight into the keeper or, or pushed it wide, but Haku was able to slide that in. Uh, quite comfortably and yeah it's just his pace his dribbling ability uh you know his explosiveness it's very you know something that Miami hasn't had in in you know club history really you know bar Messi coming in obviously um but um but still I think it's an extraordinarily impressive uh, performance from him and you know I think right now with his current form I think he's definitely a, a starter on this team whether it be on uh, that left wing or even in midfield, you know, it depends on what Tata, you know, has him, you know, deployed as. But, um, yeah, I think we're just, we're seeing uh, uh, Faku just kind of continue to grow and, and be comfortable. And, 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 you know, there's a reason why he was linked to European teams uh, a while back. So um, I think if he continues to play the way uh, he does, you know, sooner rather than later, those teams will come call him back and, and whatnot. So uh, really pleased to see him continue to flourish. And, I'm intrigued to see how he lines up uh, this weekend against Atlanta. You touched on the the partnership between Miller and Aviles. That that obviously moving forward is going to be a big thing that we talk about. How do that, how does Sergey Kristov uh, rotate into that as well? Uh, I, I think is very interesting. Who started for Ukraine in their last European qualifier this past weekend? Uh, I, I guess I'm just curious as to your assessment of the evolution of them. Uh, given that they did give up the early and late goals, uh, given that it was uh, not, a good, not great game from Yedlin, a good, not great game from Dixon Arroyo, but also solid performances from Alba and Busquets. And yet that partnership at center back seemed to be the odd man out in performances uh, against Kansas City. 
Yeah, I think it's because uh, they let up that early goal. Drake was an uncharacteristic, uh, you know, spillage, and then shallowly uh, the 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 sporting winger was able to tap that in uh, pretty seam easily. So um, I think that threw everyone off. But yeah, I think uh, if you look at other games, I think uh, Avilas and, and Miller have done, you know, just you know they they've done well, you know, and I think Kristoff is going to have a a difficult time breaking into that back line if it goes back to a flat back four. Um, but I think Tata will continue to play that three, excuse me, yeah, that three, five, two, which probably works the best with the current uh, personnel with, you know, um, midfielders around Busquets, Alba being able to just play as an end of the attacking player and Messi being able to roam with uh, a center striker or, or winger, whether it's Farias or, or Campana or, or Joseph Martinez uh, being able to, uh, uh, you know, hold that shape. So, um, yeah, it, it, it all depends. But I'm just impressive, uh, impressed by Avila so far. You know, he's, um, I don't know, there are a couple of times where he will jump out a little bit too quickly, but still, I think he's uh, still growing and maturing, maturing. He's only 19. So, um, yeah, he'll continue to get better. And then, you know, it, you know, if Kristoff can break back in, then, you know, who knows? But I'm, I've been impressed by Avila and, and and you know, and Miller as well. You know, a couple of times, especially against that uh, the the Nashville game where uh, he he had several like last ditch tackles. You know, that was a really uh, you know I was really impressed by that in, in in his playing style. So um yeah, I think the two of them had an off game against Sporting Kansas City, but uh, still I I think they'll get it together. And you know, Atlanta will be a more much more difficult task, but um I, I think with a full strength squad back from international duty. Um, and relatively little to no injuries. I think um, it'll be, um, I'm intrigued to see how Taka uh, sets that up. Avilis to me is is the big one over this off season that has the, uh, perhaps like the most potential, the most room for growth. Not not just as he gets comfortable in this, in this team, in this country, um, in, in this, in this, you know, organization and all, but also just how he grows physically and, 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 you know, bulks up really, really becomes a, a, a professional center back. Not that he wasn't before, but at 19 years old, you, you make it, you make a good point that he, you know, he really physically hasn't fully developed into the full potential of the player that he is. And I really think that he's that one player that you can see make a big jump over this winter and, and come February and come March we can be talking about a different player because he has been quality so far. There, there just is a, a little bit of, 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 I guess, association, comfortability that he and Miller need to get, where, where it seemed at times that Miller and Kristoff were, were really getting comfortable with each other, and now you insert him in, and, and they're redoing it over again. And, and that leads to you know a couple of, of things that you would hope to avoid. But as you, you mentioned, I think that week by week, uh, it continues to get better. La- last point on the Kansas City game before we move on, the introduction of Lawson Sunderland, who recently signed his first team contract with Inter-Miami. Also Santi Morales, the son of the 16-year-old son of assistant coach and former interim head coach, Javi Morales, signing a first team contract with Inter-Miami. So first off, congratulations to both of them. Lawson now introduced into the squad in this game, and he's someone that I've been high on for for years now, for, for a couple of years, uh, very much think rated highly on, on my part 
uh, a steady grower, uh, really has a, a good projected growth to him uh, that game by game will improve. I thought it was a solid opening performance for him as well. And someone that I think really, as he grows into becoming a first team professional footballer, I think over time you'll see not dissimilar. I'm not comparing them like for like with Benjamin Kremeshki. But, but someone who in that mold will benefit greatly from being in training every single day like this. And we will see day by day by day the progressive growth that he's going to have. It won't be overnight. There's not going to be one day where you go, oh, my God, wow, that loss in Sunderland. Now all of a sudden is a great player. But he does have the potential of a solid career trajectory that I think is very promising for Inter-Miami and with his age, a, a future a future career, perhaps in Europe or or wherever he finds uh, success at. Yeah, um, and yeah, I think um, I I, I think um, I don't think people remember that Lawson Sunderland had his uh, debut against Sporting Kansas. Uh, excuse me, against a rival of Sporting Kansas City, which was uh, St. Louis. Um, uh, right before Messi, uh, Busquets, and Alba got there, you know, it was kind of a weird time where we do the three. Were coming, but you know they weren't here yet. So uh, Tata had to uh, send out a lineup without them, obviously. And yeah, Sunderland got his first uh, start, I believe, for Miami in that game as a, I don't know if it was emergency call up or like a. It was. A yeah, temporary he was in the two players. Yep. Yeah, and he he played well for the most part, and I it was unfortunate that you know um, he couldn't get more time, but you know I was glad to see him actually sign for the first team. So yeah, now we can. Uh, see more of him and 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 um, you know his skill set. So I think he's one of those midfielders that Tata has his eye, had his eye on, and and now he he's brought him up to the first team. So I'm intrigued and excited to see to uh, to see how he he gets on with that. Inter Miami now wins yet again. It pro- it promotes them up in the standings. They're still in 14th, but up to 28 points on 26 games played with two games in hand and only six points behind DC for that ninth and final playoff berth. So basically in control of their own playoff destiny, which a month and a half ago would have seemed impossible. The only thing that they need outside of winning their own way and controlling their own destiny is one Chicago tie or loss. If they do either and Miami wins their final eight games, Miami will be in the MLS cup playoffs. It's, it's just a mathematical fact, which is really uh, astonishing given where they were when we were talking about this uh, early on this summer, that Miami is currently in that position with a great chance this weekend uh, to, to continue that in Atlanta as well on the road where all of a sudden they are flying high and being able to play with, with some pretty good success. I, I say that, but before we get to Atlanta, I want to talk about the, uh, the, the international break that we had. Lionel Messi scoring an unbelievable wonder goal for Argentina uh, in, in the free kick in, in their World Cup uh, qualifying win uh, earlier on in the international break, getting a little bit rest later on. Uh, what, what did you think of his performance while he was away, the reception that had? And then we'll get to the other guys that, that played in international duty uh, over this break that, that they had. Yeah, well, for, for Messi, obviously, I think, you know, Argentina's a... Uh... Their first win against, if I recall correctly, it's been uh, a world when we look up the scores real quick. I forgot which team they played, but I know Messi scored that free. Ecuador, there we go. There, there we go, Ecuador. 
which, you know, probably could have used Leo Campana and um, maybe Dixon Arroyo, but <laughs> Um, yeah, Ecuador, they were able to win later on and they're, you know, on zero points despite winning, I, I think, because they, they fielded an, an eligible player last World Cup cycle and that was a whole mess, so they were docked points. But um, yeah, Argentina against Ecuador, Messi scoring that free kick, you know, was he was kind of inevitable. And then, you know, he was able to sit out against Bolivia where Argentina were able to take care of that 3-0 and you know, uh, regarding other internationals, Ben Hakramaski getting his first uh, U.S. men's national team cap, uh, really cool. He had a, a slip through ball um, that led to the the fourth uh, goal from Oman, you know, an own goal, but still was a really nice play. Um, Sergey Kristoff got some time. Robert Taylor, I got a, he got a couple minutes. Joseph Martinez started for Venezuela once, played about 56 minutes, I believe. Um You know, Diego Gomez played for Paraguay before he got injured, and we'll see how that develops if it's a long-term thing or a short-term injury, but hopefully it's nothing too serious. Um, excuse me. Um, I'm trying to look down the list now. There are a handful of internationals that Miami were, were Drake, Drake suffering went from. Camp but, after, um, Drake went into camp after the Sporting Kansas City game, right? Didn't, didn't appear, but yeah, but did get I don't the think he, he didn't play. Yeah, but yeah, good for Drake. And um, yeah, it's, it's cool to see Inter Miami with a, a handful of internationals now and, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, the, as the team continues to win and, and play well, their only, you know, other players will continue to get a call of David Ruiz. I think he was off with Honduras as well. So um, yeah, uh, there are national team caliber players at Inter Miami and, you know, the more they continue to play well, uh, the more, you know, they will continue to get call up, called up. Nine players out for Inter-Miami on international duty in this window. And it really raised an interesting question that I don't know if MLS has ever had to deal with. Some of us who have been covering the league for a long time, you know, this has never been an issue where a a team would be so affected by international call-ups like this. And MLS running in a summer schedule from March to October has generally always played more or less through international FIFA international breaks. Now with Inter-Miami having nine players and you have some teams that played over the course of the weekend, St. Louis being one of them, that didn't have a single international call-up, still being able to play. The the question arose in this window of does MLS now have to consider, given the rise in caliber of the league, given rise in the talent level that, that the league is now putting out, not just with the U.S. men's national team, which it has for years, not just with the Canadian national team, which it has for years, but now with, especially with, uh, you know, Central American and South American countries starting to get there in Europe and Asia as well, uh, that, that should MLS now consider and build into its schedule FIFA international breaks like the big leagues do, like England, France, Germany, Spain, Italy do, where, where these are designated FIFA international dates and they do not schedule games during it if they don't have to. Inter-Miami has a rare calendar this year because of their deep run in the League's Cup and because of the messy delay that, that you know, the league sort of built into their schedule that, that they are basically would have had to have played this game regardless against Sporting Kansas City just because they need to get the games in by the end of the year. That's why they have the weird home and home against Charlotte as the last two games of the year this year. Uh, but does does MLS need to reconsider how they do this? It's something that they've dealt with for so long so well because it hasn't been an issue now seems to be on their doorstep uh, in, in a great way, but one that they're going to need to address this offseason. I think. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's still ridiculous that um, 
they don't, uh, you know, just, um, I don't know, they, they, they don't abide by that FIFA international window and it's hurting teams, especially in MLS and even more so now with Messi in the league, I think. They're gonna. They 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 obviously want Messi to play in almost in every game he's available for for Inter Miami. But when he's not on the field, you know, MLS they're missing on eyeballs and and whatnot. But you know, obviously Messi can't play every game. But um, still, I think it's really harsh to have him go back and forth. Obviously, Argentina does take a lot of priority. You know, getting uh recall, continuing to qualify for that uh, 2026 World Cup. Um. And and still wanting to stay fit for the Copa America next year, it, it takes uh, priority. But still, I, I think you know every single MLS player would have had, uh, you know, it would have been beneficial for them to just take those yeah week and a half, two weeks off just to to chill out. You know, the schedules get congested at this time of year, especially now with Leeds Cup. You know, with Inter Miami, they went all the way and won it. You know, they they, they barely had a week off. I think this this past week, this current week, you know, from. Uh, the sporting game to Atlanta United this weekend. This is their first like full week off since uh, the big three kind of came in now for, uh, and, you know, Miami needed that. So, um, yeah, I hope that they're able to um, uh, yeah, just uh, abide by FIFA calendar and the FIFA ruling, but, you know, the MLS is kind of weird in that sense. So let's see how that goes. Well, we've seen how this has been a problem in the past with World Cups. When they were in the summer, they got a little bit lucky with the 2023 uh, World Cup being, or 2022 World Cup being in December, uh, that, that they didn't have to deal with it. But normally when the World Cup is in the summer, that's an issue. Normally when Gold Cup is happening in the summer, that's an issue as well. Normally when Copa America is happening as well, that's, that's an issue. So this is going to be something that I think is probably going to dominate this offseason. It's going to be a conversation that, that is going to happen in league circles quite a bit. It's, it is already starting to happen in league circles. But I think when we start, when, when the calendar flips over in January and February, uh, the conversation that's going to dominate this next year is going to be uh, how MLS fits in their calendar with, with now, like you mentioned, with the addition of Leagues Cup, with the need to take international breaks, with the addition of... Uh, of, you know, CONCACAF Champions Cup that will now be less number of games, which is a good thing uh, for them. But with Copa America coming up as well, uh, there, there's a lot on the calendar, a lot on the American soccer calendar uh, in, in 2024. And how they deal with that will probably be a precursor to how they're going to deal with it for the 2026 World Cup uh, when it's here in the United States, Mexico and Canada. And I think that this is the time for, for MLS to really, they, they've gotten away with this for a long time. Uh, and I think it's a testament to how good the league is becoming that they now have to deal with this problem. And now it is a big problem, but it's going to be a big problem moving forward. And now is the proper time, I think, uh, for, for them to deal with it. All right, Alex, let's talk about Atlanta United and, and this road game coming up this weekend. Inter-Miami gets their nine players back from international duty. We'll see a little later on in the week if any, some, all of those players, none of those players, hopefully not, uh, are, are available come Atlanta. We expect at least uh, a good portion of them to be available in this game. It is a game on turf. Atlanta United does play in uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is the home of the Atlanta Falcons, uh, which does have a turf field. So it brings up that conversation again uh, Messi said in his first press conference with us that he played on turf as a child and he, you know, doesn't really 
get all the the talk about he won't or he's going to refuse to play on a turf field. He said he's played on it before and he sees no issue with playing on it. Whether or not that's you know him him saying that for the cameras and and behind the scenes, you know maybe his team has more reservation uh, is yet to be determined. But what do you make of this game on turf coming back from an international break, limited rest, maximum travel because he's coming back from South America as well, and his availability for this weekend's matchup? Yeah, I think, you know, I don't know. If I was Pata, I would rest Messi the first 45 minutes, honestly. I think, you know, Atlanta has kind of revamped their side. They signed a couple of uh, players, and they've been looking better as of late. Um, but still, it's the turf there at Atlanta. I know it's technically considered nice turf, but Still, it's the ball. The ball. The ball bounces strange, and you know the timing's always off, and it, the ball moves faster than you anticipate on that that turf field, and it's not, it's not aesthetically pleasing to play on. You know, every turf field in, in the league is not. You know, it's it plays weird. So, you know, Messi won't have an issue. Uh, he said he won't have an issue, but still, it's it's a hard surface. Surface is not somewhere uh, that um, football should be played, in my opinion personally but um you know if Messi wants to start you know he had a couple of days rest he didn't play against that uh in that Argentina game against Bolivia and uh if he wants to play I think he'll, he'll push and talk to obviously you know we'll have to make that decision but you know it'll be an important game for Miami they're six points back uh of DC United I believe if I recheck the standing six points yep. back of DC United if they win hmm Yep. Six point, yep, yeah, yeah, six points back of DC United, and um, if they win and Chicago loses, I think, I think, like you said, Ian, before, uh, yeah, Miami's destiny kind of hinges on. Yeah, Chicago so they, needs to they need to lose, game. which it's well, looking. I don't know, looking at Chicago's schedule. Too. Yeah, they play Montreal this weekend, and Montreal are you know kind of a hot and cold team, so maybe you know ex Inter Miami players Bryce Duke and Ariel Lassiter can undo. Uh, mind me a favor and try to beat them <laughs> or or draw. But um, yeah, I think, um, I don't know. I think it all depends. Messi will surely play. I am a little worried about the Albas and the Busquets, you know, how are they going to play on that, on that pitch? But, you know, uh, you know, uh, Atlanta playing in, in an NFL stadium and, you know, their owners are, are still perf crazy. So yeah, let's see, let's see. But um, I, I, I'm kind of expecting Messi to play really. There, there was an interesting revelation in this uh, uh, that came in the in the world of of foot of American football this week, and that of the NFL Players Association issuing a statement saying that they uh, are advocating for the NFL to remove all remaining turf fields and replace them with natural gra- grass after this season. Uh, how that would impact MLS is, you know, a team like uh, like Atlanta, like New England, uh, like Seattle, who play in M- who play in NFL stadiums on turf fields would no longer have to have that issue, which, uh, you know, anybody who's a soccer fan obviously would would appreciate that. But the NFLPA coming out and saying it's a player safety issue, both, you know, for, for American football players as well. So we'll see if the ball gets rolling on that. And this is maybe the last time or the last season that we're having this conversation about artificial turf in Major League Soccer. That would be very welcomed, at least in my opinion, uh, on not having to deal with this. It's a, it's a double-edged sword for Miami, right? Because if Messi does play, 
then he runs the risk of injury on on something that he's not accustomed to. Whether or not he's played it as a child, he's not a child anymore, right? He's he's not he's not even a, a, a young uh, young up and coming player who probably has the recovery of a young player. He's thirty six, uh, so so he doesn't want to deal with uh, with an issue like that in an unforgiving turf. I would extend that same thing to Busquets and Alba as well. They are not familiarized with games that, that would require the physical toll on your knees that artificial turf does, that, that, that the changing of direction, everything changes. The, the pace of the ball changes. There, there is a lot different on artificial turf when we have this conversation that I think is worth noting. That being said, they're in a playoff hunt. And, and if they are serious about this, like they keep saying we're serious about it and they keep showing that they are, uh, every three points is valuable. And so uh, you, you perhaps run the risk, uh, but but we'll see. This is an Atlanta team that Miami has played well so far this season. Before Messi came back in May, before Busquets and Alba came as well, back in May, they defeated uh, Atlanta pretty pretty solidly, a 2-1 win, but it was more a 2-0 when Joseph Martinez scored his 100th MLS goal, uh, Atlanta scoring a goal in, mm-hmm. uh, in stoppage time late in the game, which was the reason for the final uh, scoreline. But also we saw that League's Cup game, which was really the 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 show, the 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 debut of the Messi show of how dominant that four nil win was uh, against Atlanta United to really put a stomp on on that group, winning that group uh, after beating Cruz Azul as well, and, and making a case for what was to come with this iteration of this team. So this is a team that Miami has played very well. It does have uh, some players that can hurt you. Caleb Wiley immediately comes to mind. Uh, a very a very solid winger, a young up and coming winger uh, through the American system that I think is very good. Uh, how, how do you like this Atlanta team that's been a bit Jekyll and Hyde in MLS play this year, uh, as they've been consistently inconsistent, but done enough to get results to put themselves in a good playoff position? Yeah, and I think uh, the new sightings that um, they brought in have definitely changed that landscape, and 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 good for them, really. I, I think it'll be a difficult game for Miami, especially away. I think it, uh, it'll probably be a match where they open the, the Mercedes-Benz Arena uh, to full capacity, and um, you know a lot of Atlanta United fans will be there. Of course, a lot of people who will be uh, there for Messi as well. But um, um, I, I think it'll be um, a difficult game for Miami. But um, you know, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I think that League's Cup game where Miami beat them 4-0 will still be on the back of their mind. But like I said earlier, uh, Atlanta has brought in two wingers uh, that, you know, have complicated names that I can't really pronounce. So right now they're Jean de Silva and, and hold on, let me get this correct. Saba, hold on. They're a designated, one of them's a designated player, player but um, yeah, anyway, but they brought in two wingers that they brought in. Bernard yes. Camungo they brought yes. in. Yes. And Saba Lobjohn, I, I really can't pronounce this uh, guy's last name, <laughs> but I don't want to be disrespectful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But um, Van de Silva and um, um, Muyamba uh, that you just mentioned. But um, yeah, they've brought in uh, players that have kind of given them new life and, and it'll be difficult and, and that turf. So it's hard to predict anything in, in soccer, but um. I don't know. It's just a kind of wait and see mode, really. This is a homecoming uh, for Tata Martino, who did wit- lead uh, Atlanta United to an MLS Cup final uh, wit- championship. 
uh, as head coach of Atlanta United. Joseph Martinez got his uh, return to Atlanta United. He came over from them in this past offseason to Inter Miami, got his brace in the home version of this. Now he makes the, the return leg with his uh, coach and and for and coach who was with him in Atlanta as well. How, how do you think that the welcoming will be for Tata in this game? And and how do you uh, predict that, that the Atlanta faithful will uh, will bring you know welcome Tata back into Mercedes Benz Stadium? I think they'll give um, respect both him and Joseph to uh, an extent, and I think they'll 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 be respectful, you know and. Um... I, I don't think they'll they'll be uh, content uh, at Messi and, and company, but I think they'll they'll give Tata and Joseph the respect that uh, honestly they deserve because they you know, the two of them uh, delivered an an MLS Cup to Atlanta. So uh, yeah, I think they'll be respectful. The Atlanta rival has al- the rivalry has always been interesting to me, where, where it seems like it's more of an on the field rivalry than the Orlando one. The Orlando one te- has the fanfare of the Florida Derby. It has the fans going back and forth very uh, aggressively with each other. The Atlanta one seems to be a lot more focused on the field and, and tactically uh, trying to beat each other. I remember when Atlanta fans were down here uh, that, that, that there was, you know, a lot of, of, of talk about football. Now, mind you, that was right. Uh, the last time that they were here was, you know, Orlando fans have, have made the accusation that, that they were here right at, right before the mural in Miami was painted with the purple. The messy mural was painted with the purple. Uh, so there was back and forth between Orlando and Atlanta fans as to who was responsible for that. Um, but but how have you made this rivalry out to be in the past and, and now here in this new phase of it? Um, I don't think it's as much of a rivalry as it is with like Orlando, honestly. Um, but um I think it's just uh, the two team, uh, the two fan bases bonding over their mutual hatred of Orlando, really. So um, I think I don't know. <laughs> would I would you say, say it's kind of friendly, but would you say? Yeah, it's I would say better, it's kind of friendly, but yeah. rivalry. Would you say it's a better rivalry than Nashville or better rivalry than DC, yeah. for example? Oh my gosh! Yeah, the Nashville one, especially I'm after leaving the spot here, we didn't prepare a lot of the fans go. <laughs> Yeah, of of the national rivalry, you know, I think a lot of the fans don't like each other in that regard. But yeah, I would say it's Orlando, Nashville, D.C., um, and Atlanta. Atlanta's kind of like friendly, you know, friendly felt really. I think that that's I think that's a good way of putting it. I, I think I agree with you on that. I think I would put it in that order: Orlando, Nashville, DC, and then Atlanta, which is which is good. You know, it's it's good to have these sort of uh, it's good to be at a point in the in the you know history of Inter Miami that, that these things are now organically solving their way out, and and people are starting to get a little bit of a feel for uh, for how this is going to go. All right, Alex, that concludes another week of the Heron Outlet. Please make sure you follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Subscribe to our Substack, theheronoutlet.substack.com. You can follow us, subscribe on YouTube at the Heron Outlet's YouTube channel, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts on Apple Play, Spotify, Google, YouTube Music, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us there as well. She is Alex Winley. For our producer, Andres, I am Ian Hess. This is the Heron Outlet, and we'll see you back here this time next week.